you're listening to the GNU World Order. This is the Christmas special. Hey everybody, it's the Yule season, or Christmas, or winter equinox, or in my case, summer equinox, because I'm in New Zealand right now. This time of year tends to be strongly weighted for a lot of people, whether you're, whether it's because you have expectations of what this season should be like, or whether you have feelings of dread about how it actually is, or whether you have to work today, or whether you don't have to work and so you're alone in your house with no one to be with, or whether you're not working and you're surrounded by people and you just feel alone, or maybe you're sitting at home enjoying the holidays quite happily, whatever your situation, this episode is for your enjoyment. It's a bonus extra episode just for the Christmas holidays. If there's any kind of lull in your holiday season and you want to fill it with some talk about Linux and open source, here we are. I wanted to focus on something upbeat and exciting, and this is the potential or the opportunity when you use open source. Now, I'll admit that sounds a little bit intangible. That sounds like something that's just it's great to talk about, but there's not really a, a way to sort of grab hold of it and, and, and make it actually mean something in real life, but bear with me here. So I know that a lot of companies right now are are really, really excitedly and loudly proclaiming how they support open source. And I get that from a lot of people too. A lot of people, they, they don't necessarily use open source, but they certainly do appreciate that it's there and they support it. They're, they are supportive of it. It comes in all forms in different uh, di- by different degrees, and certainly there's no need to make judgment calls based on someone's perceived, the, the degree by which they use open source, or even a company by which it uses open source. There's not, that's, it doesn't really serve anybody at all. I do want to note that there's a difference between saying, well, yes, I'm a big fan of open source, but I don't actually use it myself, or we, we love open source and we, we are very supportive of open source, but that, that, we don't actually publish open source ourselves. That sort of angle versus we're creating open source, we use open source to create open source, and the whole stack is open source. As much as uh, of our stack that can be open is open. There is a difference between those two categories, but what is the difference? What exactly, why does it actually matter? And and this is a, a salient question because we have a lot of open source projects right now that that live and and breathe and grow on, for instance, GitHub. And and you look at GitHub and you you know deep down that it's not open source. It's it's based upon an open source technology called Git, but the the site itself is not open source. And then you have to ask yourself, well, does it really matter? It's a service. So if I put my stuff on GitHub, and then maybe if I'm if I'm very concerned, I might mirror it over on GitLab, and and I also have a mirror of that on my local machine. So I've got redundancy does it really matter with whether github itself is open or not and that's a great question i mean does it matter maybe it doesn't because it's a platform or it's a a software as a service and it's a thing that you you can put your data onto it and and your data will live on it and if it ever goes away or if it ever goes if it gets more locked down than you would prefer then you can always walk away from it and that's kind of ignoring the details like, well, there's the issue tracker that a lot of people use on GitHub. So what happens if you have to walk away from it at a point where, for whatever reason, your issues can't go with you? They, they, they didn't migrate 
they, they provide no way for you to migrate your issues because the issues aren't Git tracked. The only thing that's tracked within your Git repository is the stuff in your Git repository. All that metadata, the wikis and the issues, actually I haven't looked at the wiki, so I could be wrong about that. But as far as I know, the wiki and the issues and all those things, they're not encapsulated in in your repository. So if you walk, you get to keep your data and that's it. So maybe it's maybe it's a problem that it's not open source. Maybe it's not because, as I've said before, in many times, in many instances, we don't actually leverage the fact that something's open source. So even if I'm using GitLab.com to host to to make a, a mirror of my Git repository, it's not as if though I'm actually running GitLab itself. I didn't I didn't download the source code. I didn't audit it. I didn't look at it. I didn't even install it, and I'm not running it on my own server. So the fact that GitLab is in theory, or not in theory, it is open source. Diff it, there's nothing really differentiating between it and GitHub from from the way that, for instance, I use either of the two. So that's it's a it's a valid question to sit down and sort of audit your your open source usage what what is your project making use of and does it matter whether something is open or not and and you can look at other other it applies to other things other than just a git repository for instance uh, a lot of people use uh, issue trackers or not issue trackers but kanban boards to schedule what how their software is going to be developed over the course of time and there are several closed source Kanban boards, and there are several open source Kanban boards, and you kind of have to sit down and look and and and, and actually and analyze what your whether it actually makes a difference to your project as to whether you're using that closed software as a service Kanban or the open source one that you can download and install and maintain on your own server. And once again, it may not matter all that much to you. If you if you aren't hosting it yourself, then the fact that the platform is open source is mostly meaningless to you. Now, I say mostly because I think typically for the open source things out there, it's, it is very frequently easier to extricate your data from them simply because everything is open source. So you can, you can get to the data easier than, for instance, something that doesn't share with you how it's storing your data. That said, it's not it's not always just a, the click of a button, and it might be it may be a rather complex process. So it, it may not functionally make a difference to you whether you're using an open or a closed source tool. And this is where the idea, this sort of intangible concept of potential, comes into play. And the reality of it is that when you're using open source, there are probably every day at least one opportunity for you to contribute back to open source. Now whether you take that or not is completely up to uh, your your you know your your workflow whether you have time to to contribute something um, whether or not you think it's worth contributing whether or not you feel that you are able to contribute it in a meaningful way you know your technical skill and so on but I think when you're using open source, the opportunities present themselves to you all the time. And sometimes they're in really, really small ways, which is why I say sometimes maybe it's not to you, maybe it's not worth contributing that little trick that you came up with to automate something yourself or to, to turn two clicks into one click by launching it in a different way with different arguments or, or whatever it might be. That might not be something that you can contribute back as part of the software. It's more like a, a life hack on top of the software. 
but there are other times where there are very clear opportunities to contribute something back to the open source project. And the only reason that it presents itself to you is because you were using it in the first place. I shall share with you a personal story about what made me think of this. It's not a big deal, but it's something that happened in my own life very recently. I was designing something in Scribus. I was doing this for a job, for, for work, for paid work. I was working in Scribus, and I needed to shift some text over by some fraction of an inch. And I needed to do this in about eight different text boxes. Now, the way that Scribus performs that action is that you click on the text box, and you click on the properties panel, and then you click on the um, the, the margins or, or style and margins or something like that, sub-tab, and then you click into the text field defining the left margin and the top margin potentially and type in the the shift that you want the the little indentation that you want it's it's basically css padding but it's it's done uh, it's it's not css padding it's it's done differently because it's not for web it's for for print so that's a lot of clicks and a lot of typing and you do that once and you think okay cool got it you have to do that eight times, it's a lot less appealing. If you have to do that eight times and then you change your mind later and realize you actually meant to set it to 0.25, not point, I don't know, 0.5, then that's eight more times that you have to change it and so on. So that was not going to scale very well. And I thought, well, someone's got to, someone must have come up with a way to, to do this without clicking around. Because I knew that Scribus did have a pretty rich plugin architecture or, or interface, so I went to Scribus's wiki and looked up for look, looked for a text indent script, and sure enough, it was it was there on the wiki. There, someone had written it. Greg Greg Pittman had written a Python script to shift the um, the text in a text box. With just one, you know, you, you go to the plugin menu, you select that plugin, and then you type in your four values that you want, hit return, and it does it for you. So that's right there, just it's, that's reducing it. If I download and install that plugin, it's reducing all those clicks down to, I guess, one, two, maybe three at the most. It depends on whether we're counting keyboard interaction as clicks or not. So three steps rather than, I don't know, eight steps. So that was appealing to me, but. Uh, it, it once again became pretty evident that doing that eight times, and then maybe eight more times if I ever change my mind, and so on, and that's that's assuming I stay with only eight text boxes as well, uh, which would not be the case. So it, it, again, it didn't exactly scale. So I looked at the plugin, and it was it's written in Python. So I thought, okay, well, I could probably just change the code to cycle through the selections of text boxes and apply the same the same thing to each selection. Now I didn't know how to get the selection of what was selected. I didn't know how to do that. But it was a, a matter of just looking through a couple of other scripts to see for to, to, to look at examples and I, I got the idea pretty quickly and modified the Python script, installed it into Scribus and now I have a, a plugin that can shift it can indent text in any number of text boxes that you have selected with three interactions selecting the python the the plugin from the menu typing in the values and then hitting return so it, it it made a huge difference and all told i spent probably about 20 minutes from start to finish on that process of investigating getting a a a, a plugin that worked and then 
uh, changing it so that it worked better. And in the end, um, I was so happy with it that I sent my changes to the author and told told the author that I appreciated the, the plugin and here's an improvement on the plugin that he was welcome to incorporate if he wanted to uh, or or not. And it was that simple to contribute to not to Scribus directly, but to possibly improve the Scribus experience for future users. And and honestly, it, it did. It only took about 20 minutes from start to finish. So if I hadn't changed it, it would have taken 10 minutes. If I had, and then after changing it, it took another 10 minutes. Now you might think, well, that actually is a pretty substantial investment in time if you think about it. 10 minutes to an additional 10 minutes that has now doubled your investment in in finding a solution for this relatively simple problem that should have probably been built into the software arguably anyway. And that's one way to look at it. That's the critical sort of like, well, this would never happen in Adobe InDesign or or whatever, Quark Express or or Apple Pages. But it's that would be taking a very limited view of of what actually is a success story. And the the success is that yeah, this function wasn't built into the software, but they they do they do have plugin architecture. You can add it pretty easily. Uh, and then when someone comes along and improves the plugin, everyone can benefit from it. And that's kind of the model that open source has been built on for a very long time. I think that there's kind of a movement right now to try to sort of propose that that that, that model isn't sustainable. And you hear a lot about, well, how is open source going to sustain itself? How, if you're an open source program programmer, what are you going to do to make money? How can you how can you do this for a living? How is that possible? And so on. And there's critique about how companies are using things like um, what is it, OpenSSL, and not not funding the project, never giving anything back because it's the BSD license and they're not obligated to, so they don't. And and it's a problem. How are people going to continue to finance the development of something that that internet security largely relies upon? So there's there's this there's a conversation happening right now about how open source can can be sustainable by simply relying on someone coming along and during their work day just accidentally improving some software and it's a good question but i think that the premise here the maybe possibly unspoken premise is that people will be using the open source software because those there are obviously changes to open source soft, software that that cannot happen in a 10 minute period or or the you know just taking your initial investment and doubling it you know and it it doesn't happen like that there are there are lots of changes out there that require research and trial and error and QA and the whole process of of software development but i think that part of the idea certainly behind the GPL would be that all of that effort gets gets performed by one one entity, and then all other entities benefit from it. And that's that that means that if if someone is footing the bill for this research just once, then everyone benefits. And that's a powerful powerful development model because sure, I invested ten minutes in a very simple Scribus plugin hack. But now no one else needs to invest that 10 minutes. And if it's 10 minutes or if it's $100,000 or a million dollars, then the principle stays the same. Now, how, how you can aggregate a bunch of people to contribute to that million-dollar paycheck for, for that, that really difficult hack 
I think that is worth a, a serious conversation. But I think the the idea here is that you're using the thing that you are hacking on. And that's really, really important. And for people who aren't really sure how to get started in open source or how they can contribute or how they can find something to to add to open source, I think that, that using open source is part of the answer. It's, it's the first big part of the answer. Because if you use a thing, then the opportunities to improve it or change it or hack on it or come up with a cool tip for it they present themselves to you. It might be a, a big thing that you have to deal with over the course of a week, or it might be something that takes no time whatsoever and then ripples through to the rest of your week by saving you lots and lots of time. Whatever it may be, you discover it because you had the opportunity to use or, or not be able to use a feature because you're using this open source package. And I think that's... That's a hugely, hugely undervalued aspect of open source development that it doesn't seem like people talk about that much. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't do us much good to, to, to sort of ignore that fact. Because the, without that, without that very significant thing of why should I use open source? Well, because it will then present problems to you that you might be able to help solve. Without that principle... The only reason to use open source gets boiled down to basically football teams. Which football team do you want to cheer for? Do you do you like Mac? Do you like Windows? Or do you like Linux? Or do you like BSD? It's just it becomes like a popularity contest, maybe with it with yourself. But if if you're looking to some for something that you can actually make a difference in and be a part of, then using open source is the way to do that, and it's the reason that open source continues to grow is that people like you and me are using open source and we're, 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 we're creating things with open source and we're creating things for open source. And that grows the ecosystem. It grows the software. It grows the community. It grows the opportunity. It grows all of the things, all the, the questions and the bugs and the issue, the issues and the feature requests, all that stuff is only a sort of a living organism as it were, because people are actively using and complaining and enjoying and benefiting from open source. And if you take that away, then it becomes dormant. It becomes a project that's sort of out in the garage that you hack on, maybe on the weekends, but nobody's ever really using it anyway, so who cares? That's it. That's that's the, the opportunity of open source and the importance of using open source for all the things that you do. Because by using it, you can help make it better, and you benefit from all the work that other people do that have made it better for you. It's a good thing. It's exciting. And uh, that's about it. I think I'm going to let you go do other Christmas or Yuletide or nothing activities. It's up to you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy either your time off or not having time off while everyone else has time off or whatever your situation might be. At the very least, go get a cup of coffee. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you next year. Thank you for listening to the GNU World Order OG cast. 
This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at Klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's Klaatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Oh!